Lord and for the uh, privilege of gathering together to talk about important things from your word. Please be with us, O Lord, and please be at work this time. We are weak, but we know you are strong. We know, Lord, that you have wonderful things for us, and we pray that you would give us eager and open hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we'll get started talking this morning about uh, continuing to talk about the sexual relationship in marriage. This morning we're going to talk about the glory of sex. We'll, we'll deal with the, uh, the work of sex in the future and you know in subsequent weeks, but in this morning we're going to talk about the glory of sex. Um, we all know that the Bible is against sexual immorality and that that's very clear in the Bible. And we can talk about that. But sometimes people act as if that's really all Christianity has to say about sex is that sexual immorality is wrong. But of course that is completely false. God isn't opposed to sexuality at all. Though I think often Satan would like us to think that God is opposed to it. But God is the one who created it and blessed it. After each day of the creation, the Bible tells us that God said that what he made was good. But after the sixth day, when he made Adam and Eve and left them naked together in the garden and gave instructions for them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, it, said that, it says that God saw that it was very good. Sexuality is God's. God invented it. He invented and created each part of the human anatomy. He created pleasure centers. And he said that it's very good. In Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 to 20, it says, it's talking about um, how men should not um, go after another woman, but after their wife. It says, drink water, and it uses the analogy of water. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. 
be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? This passage, even though it's clearly warning against something, and that is, you know, lusting after or pursuing sexual relationship outside of the context of your marriage. It does so by urging us to delight in the sexual relationship we have with our wife. Let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. And uh, the word there that's translated exhilarated is translated in other places, is translated in other translations in verse 20, intoxicated, which is really what it means. So God calls us to fulfill ourselves with that sexual relationship to rejoice in that which we've been given. It says, let your fountain be blessed. And uh, the context of that, you know, in the, in the parallelism where it repeats itself, it says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. So we have to focus our delight on the precious relationship that God gave us. There is, in the Bible, as far as I know, amen, there is no concern about marital sex being too pleasurable. So, God created it and he wants us to enjoy it with a holy joy. In Proverbs 30, the author says that there are four things which are too wonderful for him, which he cannot understand. And one of those four things is the way of a man with a maid. And I told you last week that there are certain things that God creates that, you know, there's many ordinary things he creates. And then there's some things that are like really special, that are really, they almost seem magical because they have something to them that, that is so impressive. And how, you know, sex is definitely one of those things. And it's easy for them, th those things, especially to become idols for us. But here, this is the very point he's making. There are four things, he says, too wonderful for them that he can't understand. These are mind-blowing things. And one of them is the way of a man with a maid. That God created something very wonderful and precious to happen between a man and a woman. And certainly sex, I don't mean that sex is 
completely what he's talking about, but sex is definitely a part of what he's talking about. And so it is that, that sex in marriage is a joyful, wonderful, glorious thing that God smiles on and that he made for himself, for his own glory, and for our enjoyment. So sex and marriage glorifies God. And it's not, we don't just glorify God by what we don't do sexually. We glorify God by what we do do. And just as it is a result of sin that we, a man can look at a beautiful mountain range or a beautiful sunset and not have his heart warmed to praise God. So the same is true when it comes to sex. It ought to be something that, that uh, you know, leads us to praise God and glory in his good gift. In Proverbs, I'm sorry, in Psalm 139, God, in this passage where God says, you know, or the psalmist says, wherever I go, he is there. Um, you know, that includes under the covers. It includes in the marital bed. In verse 11, it says, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The light will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So even there, he is there. He is watching. There's no hiding from God. And when he looks and he sees what's going on, whether it's, you know, if he sees perversion or sexual immorality or selfishness, obviously he knows that. He also knows the sexual joy of a husband and wife loving one another. And he smiles and says, it is very good. Even complete non-Christians acknowledge that the human body has been given an extreme capacity for sexual pleasure. And we have to ask, why? Why would God create things this way? Um, why would God give us this powerful gift? What is God's purpose for this being so powerful, so special, so glorious? And I, so I want to go over five things and then uh, let you break up with your spouse the first thing is worship gratitude wonder just like why God created amazing beautiful things in the world he wants us to say wow isn't God great I uh I don't know if you've ever been, I'm sure you've seen things that make you say that, stop in your tracks. Um, I remember, you know, being moved to tears at Bryce Canyon 
just amazed that there could be anything this beautiful on earth. And, uh, and I remember at the Grand, at the, uh, at Yosemite, standing there, and there's a man as far away from me, probably as Jordan was, they were both standing there, and it was like, the only thing that we could say was, God. <laughs> you know, it was just, just made us think about God. Both of us, I, we didn't know each other. It's like, this is, this is too big for me to grasp. It's too wonderful. This has to be from God. And that's, that's one purpose for why God created sexual pleasure. Another, obviously, is because it's a powerful uh, bond-making reality. It's, and this is part of the reason why it's so harmful and uh, damaging for it to be practiced outside of marriage because, and why couples who, you know, people who are trying to have lots of sex without having relationship are constantly falling and struggling because sex creates a bond. And this is why couples, you know, who are looking for a spouse can't objectively evaluate each other once they get become sexually active because this throws everything off because it it creates this bond and so and that's a good thing that's god made it that way and that's in marriage it it uh, is designed to draw the couple closer together and to as they give one another pleasure and serve each other in love, it's a wonderful way that hearts are drawn together. Um, thirdly, it, it seems fitting that God created such a wonderful, magnificent mechanism for such a magnificent thing as bringing a new human being into the world. It, that's not a little thing. And, you know, if it were... Um, as mundane as filing your taxes at the end of the year to get to have a new child, you know it just wouldn't be befit the the wonder of a new life. God made us, gave us something that was powerful and um, spectacular in order to bring a new life into the world. And then, you know, just um, there is a, uh, in, in the human psyche, there's a certain um, way that things reboot our minds and make us sort of forget about all of our little burdens and concerns and worries. And uh, there are certain things that we experience that have that effect. Um, and sex may be even the, the one that has that, the most powerful effect in that way. But just like you need to reboot a computer every now and then, we need to, be, we need to reboot ourselves. And there's few greater ways to, if any, to reboot our minds and our 
souls than to uh, um, be to engage in the sexual act. It's it's refreshing. It's it uh, it takes it might reminds you of bigger things and and takes your mind off of the trivial lives that we live every day. But the highest and greatest purpose that God has for making sex such a glorious thing is that it is a taste of the union between Christ and his church. Um, you know, God, when he wanted to give us a glimpse of the intimate union between Christ and his church, he created this sexual union to illustrate it. In, uh, in Ephesians 5, it talks about this. In verse 28, Husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. And then it quotes from uh, Genesis. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then Paul comments on this passage from Genesis. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So here's, you know, he quotes this verse that's not just about sex, about marriage, but it's about sex. A man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And that, obviously, in the sex act, the two become one flesh. Paul makes that clear in his conversation about prostitutes in 1 Corinthians 6, about how, you know, you want to become one with a prostitute? So the two becoming one flesh is, is not exclusively, but primarily is referring to the sex act. And then he says that he's talking, when he says this, he's talking about Christ and his church. That Christ and his church, the two, become one. And, th- and that that is illustrated then by marriage and by the sexual act in marriage. So, in an extraordinary way, um, our sexual bond in marriage is a picture of the bond that exists between Christ and his church. And, you know, just as Christ is creating the delights of heaven for his beloved bride, so a husband and wife are um, delighting one another and... and, uh, and experiencing mutual 
unity and delight in each other sexually. And uh, it's really such a powerful and beautiful thing. Um, and one of those things, as I said, that's, that's just sort of beyond all the ordinary stuff. As, as uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So if God made something as beautiful and powerful as sex, what does he have for us eternally? You know, it's just amazing. It's hard for us to imagine um, things better than what we've experienced. Maybe a little bit better, but not much better. But, uh, you know, God gives us this great thing so that we can have some imagination to be able to ponder the things that he has created for his beloved ones in eternity. So, uh, obviously, um, you know, these subjects are too uh, awkward to talk about in groups, and we don't want to be forced to uh, talk about things that, that we're not really comfortable talking about. So, we'll split up in couples, and if Matt and Bob want to talk, you guys can talk too. But <laughs> you can call your wife and talk Anyway, um, so just um, what are your thoughts about the, this, this thinking about the glory of sex? Um, what, anything in it that, that hit you, that convicted you, that um, would be good to talk about? And then spend time praying about your sexual relationship, thanking God for it, for the joy in it, and asking the Lord to help. This is what we're going to be starting to talk about next week, the work of it. Um, you know, ask God's help for addressing any obstacles that there might, that might exist that make things uh, difficult. Um, but, uh, so that's, but let me close in prayer before we break up. Dear Father, we love and for your creation and, and all the things in it that are reflective of your glory and your power and dear Lord we thank you for this gift of sex in marriage and uh, Lord we know that it's very easy for our own sin to obscure the glory of things and, uh, and to even fail to see we pray that you would help us even starting this morning pray that you would uh, open our eyes and give us <clears throat> a zeal to take and see your goodness as it manifested in our marriages and that you would indeed, dear Lord, help us to experience uh, uh, delight and joy before you in our marital relationships. 
bless our conversations now and allow this time, dear Lord, to be fruitful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.